girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you were meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Girlfriend Doctor Show. I'm Dr. Anna, and I'm thrilled to be here with you today. You know, this is the season we're entering into spring. I can't wait for spring to get here. And you know, when you see those blossoms and flowers and the greenery start to kind of just start to emerge, you're like, okay, I'm ready for this. I'm so ready for this. And if you are like me, ready for it, especially being in Dallas now where I'm living, we had that terrible, terrible ice and snowstorm and and um, really half of Dallas was frozen and it was really troublesome. And you think, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? What if we don't have power? What's, you know, what's our next right step? And a lot of anxiety can come into play. And we um, interviewed earlier this month, I interviewed Dr. Caroline Leaf and uh, her input and her, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it and be sure to get her book, Clean Up Your Mental Mess, because it is just, training our brain to really be empowered and to clean up all the clutter. And that's really important because anxiety is such an important issue. And in fact, one of our clients wrote in after that episode, and this is from Amanda and she wrote in and she said, Dr. Anna, I just feel that every time I take a step forward, I take two steps back. And I feel at this point in my life, I should know what I want to do for my life and what my purpose is, but I feel lost, um, distressed, and, you know, what's the next right step? And so I think that's really important. A lot of times there is that confusion. We don't know what the next right step is, and we're fearful. What can we do? So I think we can't talk enough about this topic. You know, we're worrying about increasing rates of depression, increasing emotional disturbances, increasing reliance on antidepressants. And where is the answer, truthfully? The answer is empowered within us. And I, I tell you, I couldn't do anything without my faith, without starting my day with gratitude and prayer and reflecting on where I saw love yesterday, where I laughed and where I could have laughed more. Just that simple practice of doing, you know, that really, that, that training of my brain to focus, to go to bed thinking about what I'm grateful for and where, I, where I've loved and seen loved. And, um, and waking up with the same thing, even before getting out of bed, before opening my eyes, I have trained myself to really reflect on all the things that I'm grateful for. At least one thing, right? What's, where, did, where was one place I saw love, felt love, gave love? Where was one place that I laughed at myself, could have laughed at myself more? You know, where did I see, see humor? Where could I have laughed more? And, and that simply has changed my life, changed my physiology. That's part of an alkalinizing aspect that I, you know, that I talk about in my books, the Hormone Fix and Keto Green 16. It's the green part of Keto Green, right? The alkaline part. When we reduce cortisol and increase oxytocin, our physiology is better. And, you know, and, and that, is, that is just essential. That is groundbreaking. That is like an important check and balance to do with ourselves. Check your urine pH, get my urine pH strips and, and check that, you know, check to make sure you're getting alkaline. And if not, is it your nutrition? Is it toxic thoughts? Is it chronic stress? Is it perceived loss of control? Is it underlying anxiety? What's happening? So uh, today I brought a dear friend of mine on the show, a woman that I admire tremendously. She has been a leader in, gosh, let's say emotional maturity and gaining people, emotional mastery, let's say, and um, gaining people their confidence back, helping people 
navigate some of the most difficult circumstances and traumas in their lives. And she is that peace, you know, just such a, such an amazing presence to be around, just an incredibly peaceful person. So I'm going to introduce you today to a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Joan Rosenberg. She has been on um, pretty much every network out there, PBS, the OWN Network, um, gosh, you know, just so much. And she is a California licensed psychologist. She speaks on how to build confidence, emotional strength, resilience, achieving emotional conversational and relationships mastery while integrating neuroscience and psychotherapy, also with suicide prevention. She's an Air Force veteran, a professor and graduate, a graduate of psychology at Pepperdine University in Los Angeles. And her latest book is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. It's a great book. I've given so many copies away, and we're going to dig deep with Joan. Welcome, Joan. It is good to have you here on my virtual couch. It has been so long we've been trying to get together, and it's really nice to see you. Likewise, I'm thrilled that I'm here. So it's, uh, it's very sweet to be able to talk to you. Oh, I feel the same. And um, I let our audience know, like Joan and I were just chatting before we started recording and I'm like, uh-uh, we're not saying another <laughs> word. Let's do it on air because we are not alone in this. And we're talking about, you know, we were talking about anxiety and, and Joan is the expert in this emotional mastery. And one of the issues is being really vulnerable here. We're in our girlfriend, Dr community is being really vulnerable with some of the things that that you know i'm dealing with and maybe joan's dealing with other people maybe you watching right now are dealing with and one of the things is date like for me it's dating being anxious and starting to date and feeling like oh my gosh like man it's vulnerable as competent women as we are why is this so challenging yeah, well, again, I, I think that what it, it immediately does, Anna, the way I think about it is that we, it just puts us in an immediate state of vulnerability. And, and so it's like, it's like, uh-oh, you know, I, I know that I want to invest in this, but I also, there's a part of me that goes, eh, do I want to get hurt again? And, and, the, and the truth of the matter is, is in order, in, in order to have what we want, we have to be willing to be hurt. We have to, to be, and what I mean by being hurt is, being disappointed or sad or frustrated or, or those kinds of things. And, but, it, it, but intimacy doesn't come without that other part. So, so the vulnerability, the intimacy does involve our openness and our willingness to actually experience pain. And how much of that is like heal, like bringing up past, past stuff, like, you know, the past, failures like of my marriage the past failure of my marriage the past breakdown of other relationships and those pieces of the concept of can i be a good mom a single uh -huh. mom right sure. now can i sure. be a good mom and have someone else in my life and that is like you know there's there's a huge wall right there well i i well i see life as a both and so my immediate answer is yes you can of course you can do both you can you can be a great single mom and you can have someone important in your life as well so it's not in me in my mind and and again i in my, we were talking what we were talking about earlier was that i had it in my mind because of the, i it was what i was saying to you is that i know how i invest myself in relationship and i didn't have the sense of myself as much as i live a both and life i didn't have the sense of myself as being able to get my work out into the world and have that relationship. And, and it was like, uh, no, it's actually possible to do both. I could have had somebody in my life that was fully supportive of what I was doing and, and helped support me through that process as opposed to not. So, so it really is shifting some of our thinking and, and even reframing failure, a failed marriage, if you will. It's like, no, you transitioned out of that marriage for whatever reason you transitioned out. And that there were valuable learnings that came with that. It doesn't mean it was failed. Yeah. It, didn't turn, it didn't turn out the way you imagined. And, and so that's the, that's the grief part of it. But, but that we, we learn from every, or we can learn from every experience we go through. Um, so it's something that transitioned and didn't turn out the way you imagined. And, and we can still live this both and world. Yeah, both and. And so 
definitely, I like that reframing of transitioned, you know, transitioned into where I am now, which I never would have seen before. And, and that's beautiful. And that concept, I think many women and, and probably men deal with this too. It's like, okay, I have to focus on this one thing, like for you, getting your work out into the world, you know, this, you know, this mastery, right? Being masterful in one area. How do we have room now to be in this other, opening ourselves up for you know, that perfect, that ideal, imperfect relationship. Right, right, right. Again, it's, uh, it, it, and what I was saying earlier too, is that my values have shifted, right? And, and, and that, and on my end, I, I have gotten a, a major piece of work out there. I, there's so much more I want to do and, and many more lives that I hope to impact in a really positive way. And I'm also, and, and I would say we're doing this kind of at the, as hopefully as COVID is winding down um, or the impact, the, the strongest impact of it is winding down. And that I, I, um, I'm also mindful of what the experience of being alone has been like for a year, right? So, it, so some things were made much more poignant because there was a lot more opportunity to reflect. So let's talk about that. What are some of the things that like being alone and you're, where do you live now? I'm in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. And so yeah. that's been pretty isolating, right? And, yeah. and what yeah. you've been dealing with. And so how has this, like, how have you transitioned in this year? Well, I, again, I think that it, it, <laughs> the immediate the thing that happened was there was actually an upsurge for me in work understandably because because people were trying to make sense of it's like oh my god what are we doing what's going on how do we handle this and and so there and and the really the way i looked at this whole time period is that it's been a time period of profound loss and profound grief along with a heightened sense of vulnerability and so most people i think would identify it as anxiety i describe it as vulnerability this mm -hmm. sense both about both a kind of a felt body sense, uh, as well as an emotional sense that we could get hurt. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and certainly we, we see, have seen and saw all of that. And, and, that, and that, so that I was in touch with that kind of level of poignancy. Uh, I have a, a, a parent that is still alive uh, and is uh, edging ever so much closer to the century mark. And, and doing well, given the circumstances. And, uh, and so the inability to connect with family. Um, so I was dealing with sadness that related to that. It was a lot of alone time um, and, and wondering. And again, given the circumstances surrounding the year, because I, I really saw the year as not just, it wasn't a simple thing. It wasn't just COVID, right? It, for me, it was like five major influences at the minimum. Uh, that included uh, not only COVID, the economic downturn, political instability, social uh, unrest, but and or, uh, important social unrest, yeah. uh, and climate instability, and and so it's like these five things happening throughout this whole period. It's uh, it's been a time of um, deep reflection and 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 really heightened also my awareness of the importance of, of connection and staying well connected during this time. Mm -hmm. And opening up for that relationship. So an authentic Absolutely. relationship. So we talked, uh, touched on a little bit about what Mary Morrissey said to you. So what, what is it she said and how is that moving you? Uh, well, it's the, she, what she said to me was that, that I, what I said a few moments ago is that I could, have, I could, during this time period, have had somebody in my life that was both supportive, uh, that one, I could have somebody in my life, and that that person was actually very supportive of what I was doing. So it wasn't, it didn't have to be an either or. Yeah. It could have been, been a both. Both okay. and, right. Yeah. And so, like, now with understanding, understanding that, what are, what are next steps? Uh, well, next steps, it's, uh, I guess it's doing it the way people do it in the uh, 2020s, which is online. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and at the time of COVID and, and, uh, and at the time of 2020 with all the tech. So, um, so it's just, it, right now, it's just a kind of a process of, of figuring out how to negotiate that. So. Yeah, yeah. And to, you know, again, just that part of vulnerability, opening yourself up and, 
and letting people know, you know, we had Bella Gandhi on at the um, end of last year and, you know, talking about dating and she has her Smart Dating Academy. And so um, I have been working with her and, and one of her um, coaches, Lindsay, and it's been really important for me because it can fall back into um, work mode you know, uh, putting uh -huh. relationships sure. on a shelf and, and not following kind of a flow of just, okay, you know, every, you know, there is, there is definitely someone, someone's out there for us. And it's right. just a, a process and not to let anxiety or, you know, that vulnerability put us back into our shell. You and I are both, in, I think you're introverted naturally. I'm naturally introverted. And so like, it's so easy for me to just like, get back into my cozy, cozy <laughs> uh -huh. comfort cocoon. Right, right, right. No, yeah, no, it's, it is, it's a, it is a constant push. I think the other thing that becomes really important here, Anna, is that, is that it's also paying attention to really what you value. Yes. And, and so, you know, it's, it's sitting down and actually generating a list of what you want. Um, and, and my thing is that it's not a matter of just putting down kind of, and I'm not just talking about kind of uh, physical characteristics or those kinds of things. I'm talking about the, the whole thing where you're, you're addressing what you want at an emotional level, maybe at a spiritual level, mm -hmm. physical level, and not just what you want for in the person, but what you want in terms of how the relationship functions. Mm -hmm. So it's so it's then writing down that oh that we're we're uh, you know the the warmth and affection comes easily and is frequent, or mm -hmm. that um, that we um, we engage uh, comfortably well, if you will, in conflict, and and the effort is to always resolve that all the way through. Mm -hmm. So it's a win-win for both of us. So it's also generating the kinds of values that you hold for the relationship too. Yeah, yeah, completely. One of the things that uh, Bella Gandhi said is like, she, she asked me, what are the things you want in a relationship? And sure enough, I was like, I could fire off a whole bunch of, you know, a whole bunch of things. And then she asked me, well, think of some people in your life that make you happy. And, you know, you're just happy to be around them. You're happy to be with them. And so, you know, I, I did. And she goes, well, what are those? Why are you happy with these people? What makes you happy? She right. said, you stay in a relationship because you're happy, not because of your wants. You're, what makes you happy? Yep. Your yep. needs. Yep. And, and I reflect on that. And someone I dated, um, uh, he said, you know, like when you think of someone and you smile, that's a really good sign. Yeah, right? no, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And, and laughter is a super important one for me. So yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Joan, I want to circle back in this sure. concept of like when we are feeling this anxiety, like, okay, so here, you know, getting out in the world, you know, meeting people, having all those, those challenges and that anxiety is coming up in your book, 90 seconds to a life you love, you love, you teach us how to, you know, regain kind of that, it's almost like, I, I wouldn't call it a reality check, but explain this, explain this process and help us through well, it. Well, there's a couple different things here. So there, for me, there's layers. So, if, so the, the first part of it for me is to, uh, is actually, let me start with taking away the word anxiety. Okay. I'm not a big, I'm a psychologist, but I'm not a big fan of the word anxiety. And I'm also not a big fan of the word fear. So go figure, right? Um, and I the, and part of, and I, I'll explain why I, I don't like that word, but or either one of them. But though my thing early on, as when I got into my kind of my professional life, was was noticing how difficult it was for people to experience and kind of move through unpleasant feelings. And and as much as our thinking can really trip us up, what I found is that our difficulty handling these unpleasant feelings actually was worse. That, that people had no sense of being capable in life or feeling capable in life or handling what life kind of throws at us or we deal with um, if, they weren't, if they were not able to handle these unpleasant feelings. So then I started kind of over time gathering, it's like, what are these feelings? And, and repeatedly a certain number of feelings kept on coming up. 
But it was also, well, then how do I, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but it's like, then how do I get them to, to actually stay in them? So, so what ended up happening as the years progressed is that I sort of came up with a formula that a friend of mine called the Rosenberg Reset. So the, the, the language stuck. It was like, oh, okay, kind of like that. And so the reset is one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. And the one choice is helping people lean into awareness as opposed to avoidance. So the idea here is that you want to be as aware of and in touch with as much of your moment-to-moment -moment experience as possible. So it means staying away from distraction. Mm -hmm. uh, what's, what's distraction look like? Well, substance use, like you know, alcohol or drugs, social media, screens. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. For men, more often than women, it's sex or porn. Um, or it could be women a little bit more than men could be shopping. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just, so there's all sorts of distractions we can get into. And those are the mo real obvious ones. Um, but harsh self-criticism, for instance, for me is a distraction. Um, having feelings about having feelings is a distraction. Oh, wait, I, okay, wait, let's talk about that. Cause that's gotta be a very universal one. I mean, having feelings about having feelings, like, you know, you just end up with a cycle. Yeah, right. Well, I, so if I'm angry, then I'm disappointed. That's a distraction from the disappointment, mm -hmm. right? If I'm disappointed that I'm angry, <laughs> then it's a, it's a distraction from the anger, right? So, so there's, and I think I've identified at least 35 different ways that we distract ourselves <laughs> in the book. And some of them are as nuanced as that. And, and so, so yes, that, that we get into all these sorts of ways of distracting from what's really going on. So I want people to lean into the awareness and to move as much as they can away from the avoidance. And then the second part is the eight feelings. So, so the eight feelings are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. And so it's like, why these eight? Uh, and because people go to fear, anxiety, guilt. No, none of them are on that list. It's these eight because they're the most common everyday reactions, most common spontaneous everyday reactions to things not turning out the way we want or the way we perceive that we need. Mm -hmm. So it's the everydayness. It's that quality is why I chose those. And and then the, the 90 seconds part is really much more tied to the method. So, so, then, so then what's the deal with leaning into unpleasant feelings? Well, the, the first thing is understanding that we're one interconnected whole. We're not a, we're not a brain or, or mind and then a body. We're actually one unified whole. And in being that unified whole, it's understanding that, that our body, most of us tend to come to know what we feel emotionally through bodily sensation first. So think the heat of embarrassment into the face. I might see your redness or you might see my redness, but what the person is experiencing internally is probably the heat, right? And the heat is the bodily sensation as an example, or a, or a kind of a downward sensation in the chest for sadness or disappointment, right? Yes. Or there, there, we can come up with all sorts of different examples but that but the, there's signals, body signals that cue us to what we're experiencing. And it happens so quickly, we don't separate the thought and the feeling, the bodily sensation or the feeling um, itself. And, and then the third part of it is uh, actually an observation that was made by Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, who wrote the book, My Stroke of Insight. And in the book, what she says is that when a feeling gets triggered, there's a rush of biochemicals into the bloodstream that activate bodily sensations. So it's the bodily sensations I was just talking about. And those same biochemicals rush a flush out of the bloodstream in roughly 90 seconds. So, so what I began to do was to understand one, that it wasn't that we didn't want to feel the whole range of what we felt. It's that we didn't want to feel, we didn't want to feel the bodily sensation that helped us know what we were feeling emotionally. And that that was the thing that we were trying to get away from, was that bodily sensation. That's but the, like, what we're distracting ourselves from. Exactly, exactly. So that if I get, could get people to understand that what they were trying to run away from when they were trying to run away from a feeling was simply the bodily sensation that was uncomfortable, 
and that they understood that it was um, that it was less really than probably about 90 seconds. So a given bodily sensation wave was roughly 90 seconds in nature. People would typically go, well, I can do 90 seconds, right? So my whole point here is that if you can um, lean into or experience one or more of eight unpleasant feelings, if you, I'm sorry, let me, let me rephrase this. If you can ride one or more bodily sensation waves, and the or more is important here. So if you can ride one or more bodily sensation waves of one or more of eight unpleasant feelings, you can go pursue anything you want in life. Wow. I mean, that is a powerful statement. And actually, I'm going to, we'll be break for a second. And when we come back, I'm going to share with our audience, Joan, what you walked me through at Mindshare last year, a couple of years ago now in California, when I was having this, what, had an incident. So we'll come back and talk about that in just a second. Yeah. All right. So Joan, remember when we were in California, we were at a Mindshare event that JJ Virgin was leading and uh, there was the speakers on stage for the five minute presentations. And um, one of the speakers, one of the um, uh, presenters like totally dissed me and my product as um, uh, ineffective for her. And so I was sitting there with you and all of a sudden like, you know, it just, I did, I did, I felt like, I felt embarrassed, shamed, attacked. And you said, you walk me through that situation again. <laughs> I was like, I'm, you asked me, I'm, I said, I'm feeling attacked. And you said, don't go there. Well, I think what I, what the reason I said that is because attacked, put, the notion of being attacked put you immediately in a victim stance. Ah, that's it. Right. Yep. And, 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 and I didn't want you to take that position and that, and that if you were, um, I, I'm trying to remember the exact specifics around it, but I mean, I remember that I do remember all of that incident happening. I, I'm just trying to remember the very specifics of what I said. I know I would have said that, that, that I didn't, that that would have put you in the position of being a victim. And what I would wanted you to do is instead to handle it from the experience of you being self-empowered. Yes. <clears throat> so that, so that rather than being victimized, you could have a reaction of, you know what, that was, the, I'm angry about that, that she did that. I've done nothing wrong. The product's a great product. You know, what was the appropriateness of her saying what she said, right? And, and a variety of things like that, that could help you kind of uh, be in the experience, feel the embarrassment, but no shame, mm -hmm. right? Shame becomes kind of the judgment part of embarrassment, right? <clears throat> there is really a quality of judgment to, to shame and, and to then just go, all right, I'm, I'm embarrassed, but, but this is something she did. It's not what I did. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was walking you through a variety of, of those kind of, if you will, bodily sensation waves and probably, and also helping you reframe the situation. Yes. And I think reframing was really powerful. You were asking, okay, where, what are you feeling in your body right now? And that was focusing back right into my body, right out of like, essentially out of my head where it was going. And I see that connection between shame and judgment. And that's really a powerful connection. And I think a lot of times as women, we can deal with that in so many situations. And so recognizing that there's judgment with that, and we never want to judge, right? So that we can let that, let that go. So being brought back into my body, like, okay, where are you feeling this? What are you feeling right now? Like where in your body are you feeling this? And that was, um, that was powerful. I was like, I was like feeling it in my heart, like my chest. Like I was like, wait, you know, I feel, you know, I definitely felt a physical manifestation. You're like, just breathe. <laughs> so it was a, like, you know, just go into breathing and just focusing, you know, separating her, you know, that her, you know, uh, her part from right. me and that separating, not allowing myself to be in the victim mode and right. to feel empowered. Say, okay, well, that's, you know, should have asked me, I would have told her how to use it correctly. I mean, what was the situation? There's got to be a, another, right? There's another situation here, or there's, there's some, maybe, you know, is there um, a reason 
for, you know, I mean, and not even trying to get into that person's head to say, well, why would she even say something? Right. right. And the point at which you try to do that, you're actually out of your own experience. Yeah. Now, now what, and, and mo many people do this, that they try, they end up trying to, to figure out why someone would do something, but now you're making up a story, yeah. right? And it's actually not about the story. It's about our response. And it's, and it's how we handle our response. So whether it's, it, whether it's being able to just kind of, at, to your point, get, get back in touch with your body and go, all right, what, wait a minute, what is it that I'm really experiencing about this? What is my emotional reaction to it? And then what's my reasoned reaction to it, right? So that you can actually have both reactions going. It's like, oh, wait a minute, okay. Was that really appropriate for her to do? No, uh-uh not clean. Wasn't, that was kind of a shot below the belt. Didn't feel good, but I, my, I know my product is good. I know a lot of people are satisfied. So then it's starting to use your reason then with your emotional response. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Can you give us another, another example of, and walk us through how we do that in the heat of the moment? Let me go the relationship route because that's uh, the temptation in, especially in conflict is and I can actually go the other direction too, but the, the temptation in conflict is to start to escalate and to get uglier and more intense and meaner and crueler and all those kinds of things, right? And, and the key here is, is holding, my thing around um, <clears throat> using both parts of our, our beingness, if you will, is, is that, holding, I actually I would say three things, holding values in terms of how I want to show up. So if my value in a relationship to be, uh, is to show up as a kind person, then I want to, I want to see if I can express myself through that kindness, even if I'm upset. So now I'm in the heat of conflict and I'm aware I'm getting angry and more upset about something. Mm -hmm. But if I'm living through kindness, then it's going to be, then I'm going to, I'm going to take a breath before I'm going to respond. So let's say I can feel stuff escalating in me and I know I don't want to be mean. I know I don't want to say things that I'm going to regret later. I know I don't want to be hurtful because I actually love this person, even if I'm angry in the moment. So it's understanding that I can have angry feelings and be loving too simultaneously and, yeah, that's and a well, it's a, that, that's, a, that's actually a growth move for all of us mm -hmm. is to be able to hold the, the, health, the healthiest of us, <laughs> believe it or not, are, we, we work towards being able to do that. It's, it's, and that's, that might be a daily practice, right? <laughs> daily practice of, of doing, doing the combo of working towards being angry and loving too or loving and angry too where there's pleasant and unpleasant simultaneously, uh, as opposed to just seeing someone as all bad or all good. Mm -hmm. and, and so it, so then it would be, all right, let me take some deep breaths before I respond. I'm going to ride the waves of this intensity of what I'm, what I'm experiencing. And, right, and my thing is, reaction, the physiologic yeah, reaction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially when people are angry, <clears throat> I, I always say you never speak when you're on the upside of the wave, right? In fact, you keep your mouth shut intentionally. Yeah, that's a challenge. Whew, yeah, so that's one. <clears throat> you breathe, you breathe up. You don't get to talk until you're on the downside of the wave because that's going to give you just enough time to re-engage your thinking mm. as opposed to just letting the feelings be run out of your mouth and to run off. Right. And, and so my thing is you, you take, if you're feeling the intensity of something, you take a deep breath. In fact, I think the, I now think of the breath as the, probably the, if you think about riding the wave, then the breath is like the boat you're taking to the shore. Mm, I like that. So you actually ride the feelings on the breath. So, so now, you're, now you're in the heat of the moment. You take a deep breath, you know, you're excited, you're, you want to say stuff, you take a deep breath, you ride the feeling, you feel the intensity start to go down. And then what you do 
in a softer voice, because now you can respond as opposed to react, you say, you know what, that made me really angry. Or, whoa, that, that what you just said to me, that really hurt. Mm-hmm. Or, or what you're saying to me right now, with behaving, the way you're behaving, totally unacceptable. Um, but it's not about attacking the other person. It's about being clear about what your experience is. And that's a huge, a huge difference, a huge shift from, you know, just being clear, this is what, this is how I, I've been made, this is how I'm feeling right now. Or this is what, you know, is coming up in me. Right. The situation. And, you know, just yesterday, actually, because I've been practicing your 90 seconds to a life you love now since your book came out a couple of years ago. We've been trying to get on the couch together here for a long time, Joan. Yeah, I know. Been, it's been a long time, but I, it's come in very handy. And I'll give you another personal situation. So, you know, on one of my dates, a uh, date that I had last night, um, he was a lovely, like just, I was saying, I've met some amazing, amazing men and uh, just, he's an incredible man. And he was talking about this uh, past relationship that he had. And I started feeling in myself some vulnerability. I felt a little bit like insecure and all the stuff came up and I said, no, you know, hold safe space breathe, recognize that I'm feeling these things. It's not about me. He's not like comparing me or whatever it may be in my head. I was putting myself down, like talking, my, you know, and I was like, okay, 90 seconds. Focus on, you know, just uh, shifting my focus to be in this loving, kind space and not judging myself or the situation and not definitely, you know, recognizing that this, this was, I mean, I've been doing this for a couple of years now and it's still like those feelings come up, those insecurities come up and you're like, you know, and, um, and that's fascinating. Another thought I had on the way back today, thinking about, um, uh, uh, a, you know, a, a date and, um, thinking, well, you know, the thought came up, okay, we didn't um, have a second date. Like, well, was I not attractive enough? I'm like, you know, get that thought right out of your mind. It's not a situation here because, you know, retraining my brain, okay, focusing on the situation, that's insecurity coming up, you know, not about me. Let's, you know, focus on um, the positive feelings and shift that train of thought into sexy, attractive, confident you know like let that separate actually can i can i jump in on that one yeah because because that one is uh, uh, there's a lot of things that are important to me um in the work that that's now out there in terms of the book but harsh self-criticism is like you want to hear me on a soapbox for a few hours i want to so i want to jump on this for a second because 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 what you're doing, <clears throat> so you had a great day, guy didn't call back, and now now you're into hard self-criticism. Yes. What, 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 what you insecure, uh, and, and, because that's not a feeling in my mind, that's inadequacy, that's not a feeling in my mind, those are judgments. So anywhere there's an evaluation, anywhere there's a judgment, there's hard self-criticism. Anyway, anywhere there's harsh self-criticism, there's distraction from unpleasant feelings. Ah, okay. So I look at harsh self-criticism as a thought hijack of unpleasant feelings. So rather than going, doggone it, to be kind, <laughs> or damn, I really had a great time with this guy. How come he didn't call me back? I'm so disappointed there's the feeling Mm -hmm. it went to what am i not pretty enough not this enough not that enough not what right and so the shift is away we're in charge of what we think we're not in charge of what we feel we manage what we feel once it's in our conscious awareness so you were disappointed but just that quickly, it turns into hard self-criticism. Very well trained in that, apparently. Well, I, I think most of us are. And, and the reason I'm jumping on it, uh, especially for women, Anna, is because of how absolutely destructive or damaging or toxic or you name it, I think it is. And people get confused. People think that harsh self-criticism 
equals unpleasant feelings. Mm -hmm. Let me reassure you, they are not equal. They're not anywhere near equal. Harsh self-criticism takes you down like this. You know, go 70, go 70 floors in an elevator fast, right? Below. Absolutely, yes. That's, that's, how quickly, that's how quickly you're taking yourself down. And it's unbelievably toxic to our immune system. And you're a fan of the immune system, right? Yeah. So, so it's, not, it's not that if we go into self-criticism that it actually is equal. We just feel bad. And it's about the same equivalence feeling bad as when we're in unpleasant feelings. Oh, no, it's way worse, significantly worse. So the thing that I really want listeners to understand is that, is that you, this, you have to put a stop to harsh self-criticism. And, and, the moment, and the moment you find yourself there, the thing to do is to go, all right, what one unpleasant feeling, what occurred just before I went to the criticism? And again, let me give you another very quick example. Is doing an interview, the interviewer, um, I, I could hear him, he could not hear me. Fumbling, looking all over the computer, crawling underneath the desk, pulling cords. I mean, <clears throat> you can get the picture, right? Oh, yeah. Three or four minutes are going by, and it's still like this. And then I, I hear him say, I'm so embarrassed. And then without missing a beat, it turned into, I'm so stupid, I'm such an idiot. Mm. Now, the I'm so stupid, I'm such an idiot is the thought hijack. Our yeah, it's the thought hijack of the embarrassment. Mm -hmm. But that's how quickly it happens for all of us. Okay. And so when it happens and, her, and are we able to disconnect from that? Like, are, are you able to not go into that stage of harsh self-criticism? Is it just like that step? You feel like you're about to cross that threshold and you just back into what am I feeling? This is a feeling of disappointment. This exactly. Is exactly. That you just you reverse course. And that's the big question. Well, what was, what was harder for me? And if you want to, you can, what was harder for me to bear, know, or feel? To bear? B-E-A-R, bear, know, or feel. Yeah, you just, you just go in reverse just to figure that out. What happened just prior to that? And I will tell you when I'm working with people, if I hear this thread of harsh self-criticism, that's frequently the first thing that I insist that we work on. That's how damaging and toxic it is. I have somebody right now that I'm working with that I've probably been working with about six months. So, um, and she's gotten three to seven days worth of just really trashing herself down to two hours, maybe at best. And, and is very mindful of now when she starts to go down that course, because now going down that course is choiceful, right? It's, it's more in her awareness and, and that you can think of the relief that that's provided her if going, just breaking that pattern. So I, and I just, I want to emphasize this because of how destructive it is. And, and there's no way I want to play it down. I actually want to play up the importance of how critical it is for you to stop being mean to yourselves. Oh my goodness. That is, that is something that is so powerful. And thank you for bringing that up and just really making a point of this because, you know, as, as trained as, you know, we can feel like where we are, that harsh, that nasty bitch can still show up on your shoulder. Right. I mean, that's like, gosh, get that nasty bitch off your shoulder. That's what I tell my clients. I'm like, that is, that it's, it's just true. And then we can actually do it to ourselves and we would never want our, our child or best friend to I, say things like that about themselves or to believe things like that about themselves. So saying, being able to even be our own best coach, right? At right. first, learn these skills and then share it with those around us thinking, you know, right now of my daughter, when, um, she has, you know, a, um, you know, just being critical of her, her barrel racing right now. It's just like, uh, you know, struggling with some of that. And now I can identify that as harsh self-criticism and, you know, Joan just being able to say, okay, well, really, what are you feeling? And then like, then what do you do? Like what's, what's your, your next step or when you're well, dealing with that? Well, the next step is actually then ride the wave. 
right? the wave. Ride the wave. And the beauty of it, so here's the beauty of it, Anna. And, and so it's breathing. So, you, you, so now you're aware that you're into hard self-criticism. <clears throat> you step back from that and you go, all right, what was really going on? Oh, so if we use your example, you were disappointed. Guy didn't call back. All right, so now, now I'm in the disappointment. Again, it's not languishing there. It's right. It's not. It's, it's not getting caught up in that. But it's like, oh, bummer. I, I'm just disappointed. That seemed like it had possibilities to it, right? So you, now you're riding the wave, and and then and then if you stay present to the feeling, my experience is that you start to gain insights. So it's like, oh, well, you know, what was it that kind of captured my attention about him in the first place? And then let, let's say you pause and you reflect a little bit on that. Or, or what, what was it about this that kind of triggered me in this way? You know, so, so that you, uh, was there any pattern to my reaction? So, so now once you're breathing and you're pausing and reflecting, you're starting to gain insights and you go, oh, wait a minute. He was actually just like that other guy I dated that was actually kind of manipulative in the end. There's an aspect, maybe there's an aspect of that behavior that, and it turns out might not be so good for me after all. Or who knows what you'll come up with, right? Oh yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> so, so that, but then you gain insights and then those insights are available for making decisions, expressing yourself or taking action. So when you stay present to the feeling, then you gather actually much more information that along with reasoning, you can, you can then use the emotional information for something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then gaining that insight. So also breaking from what it sounds like, just breaking from old patterns of behavior, right. Right. old patterns that haven't served us and becoming free from those. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this conversation. And Joan, again, thanks for that, you know, focus on the harsh self-criticism. I think for our audience, you know, we have, you know, always there's another, another thing to learn. And this practice of our 90 seconds to life you love. Um, Joan, you have a copy of your book right there. I want to just let people know where to get your amazing book and to um, find you. They can find me easiest, drjoanrosenberg.com. And they, or if they punch in my name, there's all sorts of, there's two TED Talks that are out there. I'm on social media. They can find me on Instagram and on Twitter and those kinds of places as well. Uh, and uh, let's see what, the, and the book can actually be purchased anywhere. So I believe, I believe it's, certainly I know it's uh, Amazon. I know it's at Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. And so wherever people buy books, I would say, um, go buy many of them. <laughs> yes, drjoanrosenberg.com. And also that website, your website is a great resource for people. And we'll have links in our show notes and more information on, on, on your site and where to get your books. We'll put links in there for everything. So awesome. I want to thank you so much. And, and final words for us as we're, you know, just now this has been for me an emotional conversation. I'm like, okay, 90 seconds. <laughs> Let me ride the wave some more, Joan. I'm riding the wave oh, some more. You know what? I wanna, I wanna take, I wanna take your your opportunity here, um, and I wanna add one other piece. Yes. Uh, and that has to do. I'm gonna do the flip side of the coin of our self criticism. Okay. And that is the importance of taking in compliments. Because as as good as people, as good as women are in particular at leveling our self criticism right? They're um, just as bad at, at accepting compliments. But I want you to put these two things together because if you engage in a lot of harsh self-criticism and you refuse to accept compliments and really absorb them, then there's no place for good to come in. Mm -hmm. and, and I know women get caught in this imposter syndrome as an example. Well, that's, both of those are operating, right? There's, there's only bad that's being directed towards the self and there's no good coming in. So, so how can, and so I really want to emphasize those two things. One is how important it is again, to put a stop to the, to the harsh self-criticism. And I will also emphasize how e equally important it is for you to start to absorb 
the goodness that's directed towards you. Compliments are a reflection of you back to you. Mm-hmm. So they're not coming out of the blue. They're actually somebody holding a mirror up to you and saying, this is how I experience you. This is how I see you. So it's an experience of you or it's an experience with you. And, and it's super important to absorb that. And when you do that, you start to up-level your own sense of self and self-image. So I just I couldn't resist also adding that one piece in. I am so glad because that is so important. And it's a, been a practice to learn too when receiving a compliment, to receive it and not knee-jerk react to give one back. Just receive it and accept it. And, and that is a, you know, a feminine trait too, just to receive that compliment. And I like how you said absorb it, to really let it, let it. You take it, you, you uh, metabolize it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because that, again, I do, I do, there are certain things that I think really change us. And, and uh, you know, speaking up would be one, taking in compliments would be another. And, and that it's just super important to, for us to do that and not to play it down or devalue it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and definitely can do better in, in both those areas too. All right, you've put me up with a challenge. So really working on, on up-leveling that, this process, the right. recognizing that habit of the harsh self-criticism where that's coming into play, stepping back, engaging into the feelings. Where is this coming from? What, where am I feeling it? How am I feeling it? And differentiating. And then also that self compliments and receiving compliments from others. And then also giving heartfelt compliments to those around. And I, yeah, yeah. So thank you, Joan. Thanks so much for being here. And I want to thank all of you in the in our community, in our Girlfriend Doctor Club, in our community, at our Keto Green community on Facebook, Instagram, wherever you are, I am just grateful for you guys to be in this community. Please be sure to click on this video and share it with your friends. Give us your feedback. Write down in the comments below what you're committing to based on what you've learned today. What is a um, practice that you're going to uh, focus on or to practice moving forward from our conversation today with Dr. Joan Rosenberg. You guys, and find her, pick up her book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. There's pearls, gems. I mean, really, it is a masterpiece. It is a essential read. And I'm going to go back and read it again because it's been a couple of years. (laughs) I have to read it again. And so, um, and then you can find her at drjoanrosenberg.com. So I look forward to seeing you guys. Be sure to share this episode and I'll see you next time. Thank you.